Uh, what a wonderful day. The end of the 2012 year is almost here. And so 2013 is just around the corner, whether you like it or not. If you're visiting with us, we're especially glad you're here. And I'm so grateful that you're here and joining in a time of celebration and worship with us as we celebrate all that God is doing in our life and, and uh, lift up praise and worship and bless his holy name. And if you are visiting with us, I hope you swing by the Welcome Center and pick up a little gift and a, some information about Greenville Oaks and uh, just simply to say thanks for being here. And I hope that your uh, Christmas was good and I hope that you're looking forward to a, to a blessed and wonderful uh, 2013. Mount Everest is the largest mountain in all the world. I'm not much of a mountain climber, but I have been told that it is the single greatest feat that any one human being can accomplish in actually climbing it. All 29,035 feet of it. The reason why Mount Everest is so scary is not only that it's tall, it has horrific temperature changes, drastic Drastic winds, hundreds of miles an hour as you get up to the top. Sub-temperatures in the minus 40 or so. Terrain unknown on any other place on earth. To say the least, it's a challenging journey. Thousands have attempted to climb this mountain. Some have succeeded. Most have not. Climbing experts say that there are literally hundreds of bodies left up on that mountain, frozen to it. They say it's become a part of the terrain as a living sacrifice of human beings who attempt to want to conquer this great feat. Many have gone up. Most don't make it. Some never come back down. Eric Weinmeier was 32 years old in 2001. It had been a life dream for him. He was an accomplished climber, and he had climbed mountains uh, throughout the world. But this was one on his number one bucket list. He wanted to climb Mount Everest. And so he spent hundreds of hours gathering up information and research and doing the training and preparing himself and the 18 people that were going to be a part of his expedition. And in April of 2001, he took off. And like all the others that had gone before him, he faced horrific challenges, equipment failures, unbelievably cold temperatures, encounters with people that had attempted to make it and failed, lying frozen in the snow. Mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, he said it was the most exhausting experience of his life. But in May... He reached the very top of that mountain. A month and a half later, he reached his goal to climb Mount Everest and made his way back down. And as he made his way back down, the, uh, the uh, men and women that were with him as part of his expedition, they were celebrating as they reached down to, uh, came back down and reached base camp. And one of them turned to Eric and said, Eric, you know what? No matter how many other people will ever accomplish this goal, this is something that we will always have. That we will have conquered the greatest challenge that the world has to offer mankind in regards to climbing. 
her wonderful feet. I guess it would be a little bit of an understatement just to call it a journey because it was a lot more than a journey. But as 2012 comes to an end and we reflect back on the last uh, 12 months here at Greenville Oaks, I think we can say that we've been on a journey. I think we've faced some, at times, sub-zero temperatures. We've lost some members. God's blessed us with new members. We've experienced some wonderful highs, the moment of being on mountaintops. And definitely some difficult challenges on the way as well. And as we think about flipping the calendar in a couple of days to a brand new year, a new journey, what's it all about? In an interview later, Eric talked about how that was definitely a question that he pondered throughout the month and a half. He questioned what life was really all about. He said you do that a lot when you're wandering at times when... uh, The the air is so cold you can't breathe and the clouds are so thick you can't see and the terrain is so rough you can barely take a step more than a couple inches at a time. He said you have a lot of chance to just simply think and reflect. And so this morning I want to challenge us to uh, spend a few minutes just reflecting on what has been and what God has yet in store for us still to come. If you've got your Bibles, open it up to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 24. The words aren't going to appear up here. So if you don't have a Bible, share with your neighbor. Surely we can share Bibles with one another. Or pull out your phone or whatever. I want to spend a few minutes going back in history a few thousand years ago so that we can get a better feel for what is to come in the future. Because when I read through the book of Joshua and I see a particular moment in time, I'm convinced that we share a lot in common with that moment. The people were the Israelites, God's children, his beloved creation. Most of you are familiar with the story. They had been wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. To say the least, they were definitely frustrated, quite anxious, uncertain, doubtful, tired, hungry. Wondering what was to come the next year. The Israelites made a number of mistakes during their 40 years of wandering. That's why they spent 40 years Wondering. I don't know that God intentionally wanted them to be in that position for 40 years. But there were three mistakes in particular I think it's very important for us to take note of as we, the Greenville Oaks Church, are moving into 2013. Three things in particular. The first is this. They idolized the past. One of the challenges of the Israelite people is they had a tendency to think back and focus on what was. 
Because see, amidst all the, the, the uncertainty and the adversity and the challenges and, the, and the, the, uh, the difficulties and the questions and the doubts, one thing that happened was they lost their great leader. You see, Moses, Moses had died. And they spent a lot of time remembering back how great Moses was and how great our nation used to be and the strength that we had and the, and the passion and the zeal and the, and the energy and the excitement. We, I mean, we were doing things and things were good with us and God and it was all right. And, 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 and Moses was without a doubt the greatest leader we'd ever known and he's gone and, man, I don't, I don't know about tomorrow, but man, yesterday it was sure good. There's a great temptation within human beings to look backward at what was. And when you do that, you can't look ahead and see what is to come. The second difficulty the Israelites wrestled with on an ongoing basis was they constantly compromised the present with their lack of faith, their lack of trust, their lack of obedience. God didn't want to have to go through this 40-year process with his people. He wanted to prune them, to mold them, to make, him, make them into what he wanted them to be. They simply wouldn't get it. And God is patient. He can outpatient any of us. And he waited and waited and waited. You know, occasionally, one of the things that human beings struggle with, I believe, is our insistence upon things to happen when we want them to. Immediate gratification. God's plan and God's timing is something we need to spend more time thinking about and focusing on. But also recognizing the fact that what God is doing within that time and within that plan is all about us. Because he is working on and through us. And if our faith and our trust and our obedience is not in line with his plan and his will, he'll wait. The third thing, the third thing that they wrestled with, they struggled with is they discounted the future. The Israelites were afraid. They spent a lot of time being uncertain and fearful of what was to come and what was going to happen and how were they going to defeat and how were they going to eat and how were they going to live and how were they going to survive and who was going to provide for them. They spent a lot of time simply worrying about tomorrow. And that worry eventually creates a disheartened, at times, apathetic attitude. Maybe this is as good as it's going to be. Maybe this is all we really are. I think we all can fall victim to that as well. Some of you may have heard me share this quote, but I want to share it again this morning. The pursuit of consensus signals the death of vision. The pursuit of consensus signals the death of vision. One of the things that I love about this word is that God, through his people, through moments and situations and circumstances, shares with us the fact that there are going to be times that it's not going to be the popular thing to do. And it's not always going to be the easy thing to do. 
But when God calls you to do it, it's the right thing to do. Moses had died. And God had prepared the next leader. His name was Joshua. He was a good man with a great heart. He was faithful. He was trustworthy. He was a phenomenal leader. He was gifted in so many ways. God trusted him. But the one question was this. Would the people trust him? Would the Israelites trust Joshua like they had trusted Moses? So Joshua wrote his book. It was his journal. It was his account of the highs and the lows, the great moments, the difficult moments, the challenges of being a leader of God's people and his great nation of Israel. Joshua chapter 24. The first 11 verses, God speaks through Joshua and reminds his people, I've always been there for you. In verse 2, Joshua says, People of Israel, hear the Lord your God. This is what God has to say. Listen to me. God reminded them, I blessed Abraham and all his descendants. I provided Moses and Aaron for you. I brought you out of captivity from the Israelites. I parted the Red Sea. I provided victory after victory for you. Every time you needed a place to lay your head, I provided. Every time you needed food, I gave it to you. I have never not been there for you. I am a faithful God. In verse 12 of Joshua 24. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and you eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Verse 14. So now. Joshua says, so now. Fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away your gods, your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Joshua's building to this climax, this moment in which he is standing before. You know, Joshua's over 100 years old at this time, okay? He may have a cane. I don't know what he's got, but he, he's, not a, he's not a young little chicken. He's a man in his years standing before hundreds, if not thousands, of all the leaders that he's gathered together, this great nation of God, and he says these most powerful words in verse 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living... He said, it's your choice, people of God. If your job is going to be what you value, then go value it. If your home is going to be your most prized possession, then go live there. If your hobbies or your interests or your desires or your wants or your dreams or your plans or all your thoughts as individual human beings are what you care about more than God, then go. Then go. And he stood there 
And I think as intently as he could possibly stare into the eyes of the enormous crowd of people that he was standing in front of, he said, but for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, I think what Joshua was trying to do was to challenge the people to get off the spiritual fence of life. He said, guys, if you want to be what God has called you to be, then you need to stand up. Stop doing what you've been doing and start doing what God has called you to do. And if you don't want to, then go. But you can't have it both ways. Those words are thousands of years old, and yet I think they pertain to us at this exact moment and this exact time in the life of this church in 2012 in Allen, Texas. Because here's the bottom line, church. It's the same God. It's the same challenge. And it's the same calling to be what God has called us all to be. Choose whom this day you will serve. It's your choice. God won't make you. I won't make you. The shepherds of this church won't make you. It's your choice. And with Joshua's challenge, there was silence. And then a murmur. And then I think a roar eventually sort of began to to spread throughout the enormous number of people. And in verse 16, here's their response. Far be it from us to forsake the Lord, to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us uh, and our fathers out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed the great signs before our eyes. He protected us our entire journey among all the nations which we had traveled. The Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord. He's our God, Joshua. Yeah, let's go. And the greatest pep rally in the history of mankind happened. One man, one man stood before people that were frustrated, that were anxious, that were uncertain, that were confused, that were doubtful. And he said, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And God moved through that man and changed the hearts of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Joshua's challenge is now sitting before us. They still didn't know exactly what God was going to do. The promised land is what they were striving for. That's what they had been promised, and that's what their hope was. But they didn't know the journey in which they were going to get there. We have our promised land, but we're still not certain of the journey that we're going to get there. But their faith and their trust and their obedience and the fact that God will always, as he has always, was sufficient to see them through a most pivotal moment in the history of God's people. 
God is faithful. Joshua told the people as he was closing his thoughts, fear God and serve him always. Same God, same faith. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul picked up on it. He picked up on the spirit, the spirit of the significance of unity within God, within Christ, within the body. In 1 Corinthians uh, 12, he talks about the body. The significant part that each and every one of us play in fulfilling the whole body of Christ in the church. In verse 18, but in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. In verse 25, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one is honored, every part rejoices. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. Every person in this room. Every single person in this room is a significant and essential part of God and the purpose and his plan for this place. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that God thinks enough of you to make you an essential and significant part of what he's doing here? You are. We all are. I need all the kids to look up here for just a second. All the teenagers. I know you've been bored for the last 15 minutes, but look up here for just a second. In fact, you know what? Stand up. I want you all to stand up. Every person under the age of 19, stand up for just a minute. Stand up. Yeah. Stand up. In the first service, Ian Fair tried to stand up. I stopped that. (laughs) Goodness gracious. I got to him later, though. I want you all to look up here for just a minute, okay? I want you to look at me. Each and every one of you is a significant part of this church. You are vital to what God is doing in this place. Your joy, your energy your passion, your hope for the future, your love for people. God has placed you here, and don't you let a single person tell you that you're not valuable to this church. You're not here to be sent off to some room or down to some teen center because we don't want to have you with the adults. You are an essential part of the body here. I believe you're the heart of this body You are the church of tomorrow. And I pray that no matter whether you're two or you're 18, that you will recognize the significance of what God has called you to be. You can sit down. To our married couples and our young families, you are essential to what God is doing here. Things would not happen in this body if it were not for you, for not your energy, for not your desire, for your love. 
Please understand the significance of what God is doing through you as you raise up your families and as you continue to do great work here and in our community. You are the feet, the feet of the body. To our older families and our empty nesters, what a vital role you play is bridging a gap between the younger and the older. You have so much left in life to do. I pray that you will not become tired and disinterested because your families are raised and you're not as old as some of the others. And so you feel like you're kind of caught in the middle. That's exactly where God has you for a reason. You're in the middle. You're bridging a very important gap in the body. You are the hands that do great work in this place. And to our senior members, some of you have been here since this place began. Life has left you with wisdom, with knowledge, with experience, with understanding. Please understand the body needs you. Not to retire and ride off into the sunset, but to be a vital, active part, to bless this body with peace and patience and wisdom that God has given you. You are the head, the head of the body. See, it takes all of us, each and every one of us. We are the church, but we're his church. You see, it's not, it's not our church. We are his, and we are the church, but this church is not here to serve us. We are here to serve it because it's his And so as this year comes to an end and next year is just around the corner, I want to plant just a seed of purpose in you this morning. Are you fulfilling the purpose of your part of the body here at Greenville Oaks? And if you're not, we want to help you. Not because I want you to, not because the shepherds want you to, but because God has called you to a great purpose in his body. You know, Eric, as Eric and his, uh, his team, his expedition team, came down the mountain, they were met by TV reporters and writers and newspaper and magazine people. And uh, it was a fairly astonishing accomplishment when you really think about it. Over 29,000 feet up and back, nearly two months in all. They eventually made a documentary movie and wrote a book about Eric's expedition. You see, Eric was the first legally blind man or woman to ever climb Mount Everest. All 29,035 feet of it. He never actually saw a single bit of it. And when he was interviewed, when he came back down, he said, he said, it's all about trust. He said, I trust first and foremost in God. And I trust in my teammates around me. He said, but I trust above all else in every other part of my body. You see, I depend upon every single part of my body. It's not my eyes that hold me back. 
It's my hand and my feet and my arms and my legs and my mind that push me forward to go beyond, all the way to the top. That's the significance of the body. God has a great purpose for this place, and he's going to do wonderful and amazing things in 2013. I don't know what they are, and you don't necessarily know what they are, but our faith and our trust in the body and the purpose of God, he will do great things with us and through us, just as he did through his people thousands of years ago. We're going to have a time of invitation where you can come forward. You can share some things that are on your heart. We'll have shepherds down front and shepherds in the back. We're going to sing a song. I want to challenge you as you leave this morning to understand your purpose as we move into the new year to recognize all that God is doing in your life with you and through you. If we can help you in any way this morning, I want you to come forward, see one of our shepherds down front as we stand and as we sing. You are stronger, you are stronger.